prayer. Lord, we just come to you on this election day of our nation, and we pray for our, our beloved nation, the United States of America. Lord, we pray today for President Donald Trump and his family. Lord, we pray for the cities of this nation that you would calm whatever evil is being planned and stirred up, Lord. And I pray for our first responders. I pray for our police, everyone in law enforcement. We know people in our ministry who have asked prayers for their sons and daughters who are in law enforcement, and we pray for them today for protection, Lord, by your Spirit. Lord, just quiet the unrest and the anger. Send angels to places where evil is being plotted and planned. Send warring angels to protect the little ones, to protect the innocent ones. And, Lord, we also anticipate that it's not just going to be bad news coming out of places, but many testimonies of, of you intervening and doing wonderful things. So we just give you this day, we give you all the events that are before us, and we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to go on with our Bible study. I'm very excited about what we have here today. John Dunn really got us going yesterday in Acts chapter 4. Um, he finished chapter 4 and then went on into chapter 5 and tied that together with the, that amazing story of Ananias and Sapphira. And what we, um, what we are seeing here in these chapters of Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, going on into 5, is the church being formed just exactly as Jesus himself prophesied, Cindy, in Matthew 16:18, Jesus said he was going to do this that we're seeing here. So would you read Matthew 16:18? Yes. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on that rock I will build my church. Yes. So Jesus himself declared, "I will build my church." And these chapters of Acts are showing that prophecy coming to pass. Jesus is beginning to build his church. His church. This is something we really need to understand. The church does not belong to a man. Church doesn't belong to a pastor. You know, I'll find myself saying, I, I said it the other day, I went to Cindy Fain's church the other day. But it's not Cindy's church. <laughs> she knows that. It's Jesus' church, right? It doesn't belong, the church doesn't belong to a denomination. Some nations have a state church, like the Church of England. But I'm sorry, the church does not belong to a nation. The church belongs to Jesus. And he made a promise that can give us great peace, no matter how much we see the church in upheaval or change or transition or conflict, struggle. Jesus said he will build his church and he will complete it. Um, Rick, would you read Luke 6, verse 48? 48 says, He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and lay the foundation on a rock. When the flood came, flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Great. So the key word there is foundation. When Jesus builds his church, he knows the right kind of foundation. Uh, when I was teaching about Nazareth the other day, I mentioned that perhaps Jesus 
learn some of these concepts by working alongside with his father um, in the nearby city of Sephoris as they rebuilt that city and rebuilt big buildings on strong rock foundations. Jesus understood the concept, I mean, even as a man, as a human, of when you build, you need to build on a good foundation. So we are seeing um, in these chapters of Acts, the first church started in Jerusalem, started with 120 people in an upper room. Then Peter preached a sermon, 3,000 were saved. And it says that new ones were being added to their number daily. Then we have a number of 5,000 men, which probably meant more like 15,000 if you counted the women and children. So this first church, which began in Jerusalem, <clears throat> it didn't begin with the Gentiles, it began with the Jewish people of Jerusalem, is being established on a good foundation. So John yesterday, John said that he, he, he noticed three greats that are found in this first church and today, even now, are found in any healthy church. The first two of them are in Acts chapter 4.33 with great power. The apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So great power, great grace. Then you go over to 5.11 and great fear came upon the whole church. Fear meaning awe, respect, um, an awareness of God's holiness and greatness. So I think Rick left the room. <laughs> I wanted him to read <laughs> Proverbs 9.10. <clears throat> we have great power, great grace, and great fear. What does Proverbs 9.10 tell us? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Okay, and that's repeated many times in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again, that's not talking about being afraid of God's punishment or his condemnation. It means awe, respect of who God is, his holiness. So when we look at these three, power, grace, and reverence, being there's a, there needs to be a balance for it to be a, a healthy church. Power would include miracles, signs and wonders, manifestation of the working of the Holy Spirit, just the very transformation of lives, changing people from one kind of person to another, um, deliverance of evil spirits, healing. These are works of power, right? The gifts of the power gifts, faith, healing, workings of miracles. Grace includes such things as <coughs> forgiveness, Love, things that don't come naturally to us as humans in our flesh, but grace that's given by the, the, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to extend forgiveness, to love the unlovable, to care for others above yourself. And then reverence, as we've talked about, awe and humility and obedience to God because you reverence Him. So I'm, I'm spending a little time on this because I thought this was great that, you know, John pointed this out, these three greats. Um, because most of us, as individuals, and I would say probably most communities, most churches, err to one or the other, you know? Um, so I have a question for, for you and for myself. Where do you need to balance out? What do you need more of? Do you need more of the power, <laughs> more of a, a belief that God can do things exceeding abundantly, awesomely, above and beyond? Do you need more of the grace? 
You just need to be able to forgive and let some things go and let the love of God take over in things you've been holding on to. Or do you need more of the fear and reverence of God because you've been in kind of a ah, easy does it kind of you know cheap grace environment? For me, I would say fear. I think the power and the grace has been very, very um, available to me my whole Christian life. And I have tried to walk in both and, and sought both. But recently, in, in recent days, I've been in Proverbs a lot. And I've been reading about the fear of the Lord. And I've been asking for that more, to have more of a reverence and a fear of God. Because like John read for us, it's the beginning of wisdom. Right? <clears throat> so I just ask you that question. Where do you need to balance out? That's something you might want to just have a little talk with the Lord about and ask him to sort of balance you out in these three all right, so I'm going to pick up where John left off yesterday with verses 12 through 16. Let me just read them, and then we'll look at each verse. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord Multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, so let's let's just kind of unpack this verse by verse. Verse 12, it says they were in one accord. That's the first car in the Bible. Ha, 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 ha. Yes. Honda Accord. You got it. Okay. They were in one accord. Where were they? Where were they gathering? In Solomon's portico, which we've talked about that before. It's a roofed colonnade that runs along the eastern wall of the temple. Um, temple complex. It was 27 feet high with huge stone columns, 27 feet high columns, and then had a roof of cedar. And it was on the eastern side in the court of the Gentiles. It's called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Portico, um, but it did not date back to Solomon's time because we know that the Babylonians destroyed the Temple of Solomon. So it's the second temple built by Zerubbabel, but they must have put up a plaque or something there and said, in honor of Solomon. Maybe they were Methodists. They put plaques up. But um, <coughs> there was it was named Solomon's portico. It had his name on it, even though it wasn't part of the temp- Temple of Solomon. So they were in one accord. What does that mean? They were in unity. So I'm going to build on what John started with us yesterday, great power, great grace, great fear, and, and name some more attributes of a healthy church. So the next one I see is unity. Unity is an attribute of a healthy church. You pastors, you might want to start taking notes of what makes a healthy church <laughs> and see where you need to balance out. Unity is another thing, just like grace, like love, like forgiveness, that's really not possible between humans. You know? Especially, this is remember, this is the Jewish church. There's a there's a um, saying: ask three Jews a question, get four opinions. 
you know, it's, it's not possible for us as, as humans to really achieve unity. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Only he can unify us in him. When we give up our right to ourselves and agree to his will, not ours, then he works this mystery of unity. That we are in agreement with him, therefore we're in agreement with one another. So we don't, unity does not come about by consensus, by us trying to come to agreement with each other. It comes about by coming into agreement with him, your will, God, not mine. I give up my right to myself. And then that puts us in unity with, with each other. This is good news and bad news. It's, it's easy to get out of unity because we really like our right to ourselves, you know. But it's also easy to get back in unity. All you need to do to get back into unity, like I said, it doesn't take a big meeting. It doesn't take a lot of hammering things out. It doesn't take a lot of coming to consensus. You simply repent of your right to your own way, your preferences, your thoughts, and you ask the Holy Spirit to give you his way, his priorities, his thoughts. And to the degree that we're willing to do this, we're in unity. It, it's easy to get out of it, but it's easy to get back in. <laughs> so they were, they were experiencing this for the first time. And I, don't, don't take my joke about the Jews as a slight. I mean, that's just, you know, I love Israel and I love the Jewish people. But that is a, that is an attribute of um, all human beings. But it's, it's kind of especially part of the Jewish culture is they love to debate. On this hand, but then on the other hand, but on this hand, but on the other hand, if you ever watch Fiddler on the Roof, they love to debate. So here are people with that kind of characteristic just so surrendered to the Holy Spirit that he brings them into total unity. And they're not going on this hand, but then there's that way. They're saying there's one way, his way. Hallelujah. Okay. So and then verse 13. None of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. What does it mean? None of the rest dared to associate with them. Well, because of what had just happened with Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead because they had lied to the Holy Spirit. They had not told the truth to the apostles about the, the piece of land they sold. This means the, the rest, these, these other people that are watching from, with curiosity, what's going on with all these people joining this new movement it means that there were no pretenders, <laughs> no halfway committed followers going to risk trying to join this community. They saw what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. So any people who were simply curious or had their own personal agenda were like, I don't think these are the people I want to be with. Look what just happened to this two, right? But it doesn't mean that people were not still joining because verse 14 says, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes. Now it's not even giving us a number. It's not saying 3,000, 5,000. It's like they've lost count. <laughs> multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So Luke, when he wrote this, he didn't mean no one was joining them. But what happened to Ananias and Sapphira sent a very strong message. Um, don't come in just to get into the new trend in town. <laughs> if you're not sold out to Jesus, 
if you're not devoted, if you're not abandoned to Jesus, if you don't have this reverence and this awe and want to come completely under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, don't go join those guys. But many did want to. Many. So that's, that presents two more aspects of a healthy church. One is growth. <laughs> there were salvations. Now, I'm not talking about numbers. I'm not tra- talking about church marketing, how to grow a big church. I'm talking about salvation. <laughs> it's a mark of a healthy church. People are being added to the kingdom, not just shifting sheep moving from church to church, but people actually coming from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Secondly, um, it's not in. It, it says there was awe. There was people that said, "I don't want to join that community because something's required of you there." <laughs> you know, it's not just a place of entertainment. It's not just the social club. It's not just a great concert you go to where, wow, the worship was great and what a great concert. It's not just networking <laughs> for your business or your, you know. It's not just fire insurance to keep from going to. It's total devotion to Jesus Christ and much is required of you. That actually is an aspect of a healthy church. So I, don't, I, I didn't add them up, but John started with three and we've, we've seen some more. Um, somebody else maybe can keep track. We said unity and now salvation and then um, devotion, total devotion, being totally sold out. Okay, verse 15, an amazing, amazing verse. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Amazing. Similar to Acts 19.12, which I'm going to read, and then, Cindy, I think you have Matthew 9.20. Let me read Acts 19.12 about the Apostle Paul. (coughs) Um, It says, and God was performing, I'm I'm starting with 11. God was was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Then, Cindy, you have Matthew 9:20, please. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Okay, so we have Peter's shadow. We have handkerchiefs or aprons carried from Paul, and then we have the woman just touching the hem or the tzitzit of of the prayer shawl of Jesus. I submit to you here with with all of those situations, whether it was the handkerchiefs or Jesus' garment or or the shadow of Peter, it wasn't Peter's shadow per se. It was more the faith of the people to lay their loved ones believing that God's power was so great that the Holy Spirit was so real and so present that that's all it took. Healing, see, doesn't have to be begging God, pleading with God, shouting and yelling and screaming for healing. Healing is God's power demonstrated. It's his gift of kindness. It's being in the right place at the right time. Rick teaches us about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit and the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, and he connects healing, a, one of the nine gifts, with kindness 
one of the nine fruits. Healing is simply the kindness of God. So these people had enough faith in the kindness and the goodness and the power of God to lay their loved ones there. And that's all it took. Rick, please. Yeah, that's an us. example of, uh, of working of a miracle. It's not just that Peter passed by. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, the, it's, it's the fact that they brought the person to the street. Yeah, so that's right. So the combination right. of bringing the person to the street met the faith of Peter, which really... Uh, uh, clarifies that we are <coughs> the Holy Spirit is ahead of us doing the healing ahead of us Amen. it wasn't as Peter being so anointed right was that both of them were ex in expectancy right amen so they came they, they brought the body to the street the lame they brought it to the street yep. so the shadow of Peter or the apostles passing by uh, would heal it so it didn't have to have anointing or oil or uh, anything like that. Yeah, amazing. So thank you. Yes, it wasn't about Peter's shadow. It wasn't about the apron from Paul. It was that people had faith to believe and to receive it and to be in the right place at the right time because God was present to heal. So then in verse 16 it says, Also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick, or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. So now we see the move of God reaching out of Jerusalem. And that's another aspect of a healthy church. It's not totally inward focused. It's not exclusive. We got something going on here and we just want to keep it to ourselves. It's not just for a few elite people. It means outreach. It means getting outside the church walls. And, and spreading out. So that is, um, that's another aspect of a healthy church. Are you just only focused about building your deal? Or, or do you have a vision of reaching out further? Now, Betty, there are two types of people being healed. First... I'm going to get there. You are? Yeah. Please. Okay. Please let me. <laughs> right. Another aspect of a healthy church is they recognize there were those who were sick and there were those with unclean spirits. So recognizing, Rick, I've learned well from you over the years. <laughs> you taught me well. well what I was going to say was, it's not just two. Physical illness and spiritual illness. Yeah, it's, I'm not saying that just, just oh. the sick, physically sick, and, and the unclean. Okay, I'm not saying that because there's a lot of people who are uh, being saved, being touched. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say much about that, but... I believe that salvation was the highlight of this whole passage because they're coming to Christ. They didn't come into the miracles. Amen. I wish you saw that. But he makes a point that, that when there is healing, the first thing that happens is salvation. Amen. Okay. Because Instead healing... Instead of just healings and, and people come to be healed. If, if there is salvation, then the Holy Spirit will heal. Well, I've often said healing is not an end unto itself. God does care about our infirmities. He cares about healing us, but it is meant to bring us to salvation. Signs, wonders, miracles, healings are not an end unto themselves. It's all about salvation coming into the kingdom. Amen? But what we see here, another healthy aspect, it says that they were bringing people who were sick and also people afflicted with unclean spirits. So 
recognizing that there's a difference between physical illness, which requires healing, and spiritual illness, which requires deliverance of unclean spirits. Some churches won't even acknowledge that there are demons, <laughs> that there are evil spirits. So they'll pray, pray, pray all day long, God, please heal this person, and they will not realize they need to take authority in the name of Jesus over something evil. The power of the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus, delivers people in bondage of Satan's grip. And that is part of healthy church life. Again, you could get real extreme where you're looking for demons under every rock, and that is not healthy. But you can go the other extreme where you don't even acknowledge they exist, and you don't know how to minister to people who have this need. So... Um, I've given you, building on what John gave us yesterday, what was so good, several aspects that we see just in these verses here of what makes up a healthy Christian community, a healthy church. So finally, to just bring this home, I have thought for years as I've looked at this, you don't get verses 12 through 16, all these amazing things that we just read, without verses 1 through 11. Yesterday, John, I'm going to recap kind of what John told us. In Leviticus 10, we had the story of Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire to the Lord, and the Lord struck them dead. The context of that was God was establishing through Moses the sacrificial system for sin. He was establishing something. There was a foundation being laid, a sacrificial system for sin. And it had to be done God's way not their way. Then he, John showed us Joshua 7.25 as they were coming into the promised land. Achan disobeyed God's orders and he was struck dead. Again, something new was being established. They were coming into their inheritance. They were coming into the promised land and God wanted it done his way, not Achan's way. Then John pointed us to 2 Samuel 6.7 where Uzzah touched the ark. And he was struck dead. Another time when God was establishing something new, he was establishing Jerusalem as God's headquarters on earth, from which will flow blessing to all the nations. So what these three had in common, God was laying a foundation. God was establishing a new season, a new stage in his plan of redemption and salvation bringing the kingdom. So we go to Ananias and Sapphira, in chapter 5, why was God so harsh? Why did this have to happen that these two were struck dead? Because again, God was establishing something new. He was building a foundation for the church. It was a new season, a new era, and it needed to be done God's way, not man's way. So I believe, brothers and sisters, I believe we are coming into similar times. I believe God is going, if he's not already, we are soon going to see he is establishing <laughs> the fulfillment of the end times, meaning that the Lord is coming back soon. The events of the end times are coming, and he's going to be establishing a new standard for the church, for his people in these end times, so that we are overcomers, and we are ready for the Lord to come back and take us. I believe in these days, Hearts are being exposed. God is sorting and sifting. He is testing who is truly devoted to him. 
Many are falling away. Many are compromising. We're having to decide where we stand. Are we in awe and reverence of God? Are we totally sold out? Are we totally devoted to him? So we need this fear and reverence and awe of God. I need it. And I'm experiencing it as never before in my life. So I just pray for us as a church, as a body of believers, that we will do it God's way and not our way, as he is establishing this, this um, maybe last season of, of his church before he comes again. Amen. Rick, did you have a wrap-up comment to make? The ver- verse, uh, verse 16, it says, They were healed, everyone. Yeah. Meaning, now, if you, if you take that literally, they came also a multitude of the cities around Jerusalem, multitudes around 50,000 in the New Testament. So everyone, meaning healing and conviction was at, at an apex. Yeah. Uh, uh, it all started, now, if you look back to a foundation that you're talking about, yeah. which, what really caused this, Sapphira and Ananias? Or uh, the, the persecution of the Sanhedrin, or the sermons of Peter, or the healing uh, 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 of the lame man uh, uh, at the gate of the beautiful. What really? Because there's an evolving uh, movement of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. uh, after Pentecost, and it's like a like a like a whirlwind, you know. You know the commercial about the lady who's laying in bed and inside of her house. And she begins to roll, and before too oh, yeah. long, she is just rolling down the hill with carpets and all that around her. Okay, and this is exactly <laughs> what's happening in the in, in, in the in the New Testament church. Yeah. So every yeah. one of them were healed. Every one of them. Amen. 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 Oh God's mercy, so amazes me. To every generation, He gives the joy of His salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see His mighty hand delivering His people from the evil in this 